Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. And I think it's it's just about being more purposeful. You're never going to get the whole life that you want. But can we have more of a life we okay. want? I think we can. Welcome to Conversations with Lulu. We have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Louise Lambert, who's here to talk to us about a topic that is very close to my heart, and that's positive psychology. Dr. Louise is not only a licensed psychologist, she is also a published author and the editor of the Middle East Journal of Positive Psychology. She also hosts her own podcast, The Global Wellbeing Initiative. As entrepreneurs and business leaders, many of us go through lots of ups and downs. And I have learned firsthand that there is no price that you can put on having a healthy mind. And that is why I'm really looking forward to have a conversation with Dr. Louise to learn more about positive psychology and how we can implement it in our daily lives. Dr. Louise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Let's talk a little bit about uh, positive psychology, your domain of expertise. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you define it? What is it exactly? So the, the formal definition, if you will, is the scientific study of well-being, okay. which sounds a little bit fluffy. But essentially, if we think about probably the best way to understand positive psychology is to contrast it with mainstream psychology. Okay. So for a very long time, we studied what I call the doom and gloom, how mm-hmm. to, you know, how to be depressed, how to be anxious, how to be angry, jealous, all of this stuff. We could tell you how to mess up your marriage, mess up your kids. We were great at that. But what we forgot is that there's another half of human experience, and that is meaning, purpose, joy, interest, curiosity, inspiration, all of these things that really make us want to get up in the morning. And these are also worthy of scientific study. So positive psychology just really extended the science to the other half of human experience. And now we use the same scientific tools, the same um, drive, if you will, for empirical evidence, but focused on the positive side of what makes life great and joyful and wonderful and what we all want it to be. Okay. So it's a huge change. So you, so do you, uh, do you see clients for that or do you, do you practice it or? So I am a psychologist from Canada. I trained, um, as a, as a doom and gloom psychologist initially. Okay. And then I moved into positive psychology. Now in the UAE, I teach, I do a lot of research, but I also do training in organizations and schools, all largely around positive psych. So okay. teaching people, there's a number of different strategies that we know uh, work. We've tested them worldwide, including here uh, in the Middle East. And these can be packaged into strategies and tools to help people improve quality of life and life satisfaction. Okay. 
Are there certain key pillars or, or strategies that you can share? So, yeah, they're, they're, they're not top secret. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and they sound really silly, almost wimpy. But when you think about, you know, some of the treatments that we have for depression, some people will write out their thoughts, dispute their thoughts, challenge their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And positive psychology, um, you can use it for depression. In fact, that's where it started. And as, trauma, right? And trauma so Not much. Really? I mean, now there's probably applications for that, but definitely it started as a clinical treatment for depression. So okay. that's where it really started. So we know it's quite strong in its evidence. Uh, today, everybody can use it. So different strategies might be simple things like savoring. So when you're having your coffee in the morning, be there, savor it, smell it. Describe it. Okay. <laughs> kind of get lost in it. I know that, like, that might take two seconds, but most of us just kind of gulp it down, get on through the day. Probably while doing like 10 other things as well. Exactly. And, and it's really just about, you know, we're surrounded by goodness. We're surrounded by sources of positive emotion and meaning we have everything for a good life. We just don't see it. So some of it is training ourselves to see, to notice, to appreciate, to extend positive emotions. Um, there's also different strategies, some that are called capitalization. So how we respond to other people. So we can also increase the quality of our relationships through a lot of these strategies. Some of them have to do with thinking about meaning, purpose and values, you know, why we do what we do aligning that with our activities so we feel a bit more congruent we feel a little bit more like our values match our lifestyle okay that's important uh other things also thinking about character who are you right so some people really focus on integrity uh persistence being dependable being reliable other people might be more um curious Um, more um, helpful. So when we know what we're good at, it's really identifying your strengths. And when we can live those truths, again, across our life activities, we tend to be happier. So there's a whole range of different activities okay. like that. Um, and again, they've been empirically validated, uh, sorry, with uh, kids, with adults, with elderly, across a range of different cultures and populations. And we know that they work. And they work over time as well. I think that's the other important piece. So lots of things we do make us feel good. It might last a minute. Yeah. Buying a pair of shoes. You hit the parking lot. <laughs> the joy is gone. So many of these strategies also look at how do we extend these states of happiness over time mm -hmm. as well. Is, is, is that mindfulness or is it a different concept? So mindfulness can be part of that. So there's probably about 60 different interventions okay. within the field of positive psychology. So mindfulness sort of started under a different tradition. It's since been adopted into that. Okay. So that is one of them. Um, but there's, you know, again, savoring, gratitude, okay. um, capitalization, values, identification, like there's a whole bunch. Do we, do we need to be happy as, I mean, is, because I think there's a pursuit of happiness that, that, you know, is sometimes problematic, right? Because people see other people as happy. Yeah. So do we, is happiness, you know, the norm? Should we be in a constant state of happiness? So I, I think, and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people are like, Oh, Hey, we should be happy all the time. Yes. I'm like, no, Actually, you're under annoying. pressure. Yeah. That's annoying. And, it, and sometimes it can be really fake. So we need to be careful that we're not pursuing it directly. So happiness 
um, if you pursue it too much, and we have studies showing this, actually makes people unhappy. Okay. But also, again, you talked about social media. We see all these happy people. You know, and it's like, hey, I'm my latte this morning. Yes. And I think... I even the latte, like is, the even the latte is perfect. Even the latte is happy, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that does make people unhappy. So I think we need to be sort of mindful. I hate the word happiness. I use it because it's the word people understand. But what we should be using is maybe just living a good life, a life that fits for you, a life that is meaningful, a life that is interesting, a life that is nice to live, a life that is loving and and that's really you know <clears throat> in the range of all these emotions and all the range of all these strategies you, you pick the definition that fits for you so i think to put happiness as the goal puts a lot of pressure on people but also no you shouldn't be happy all the time because that actually means you're manic and maybe we need to medicate you that's a sign of a mental illness right okay um, so i think being mostly happy when it's time to be happy but then also making room for sorrow and grief and disappointment because we have to go through those but also there's a lot we can learn from that too. yes and also moments where we feel nothing nothing you're just in neutral okay yeah we don't always have to feel something so so what is neutral uh, when you're driving home from work okay Thoughts going through zoning your mind? Out, or you're just zoning out. Okay. Or you lose yourself in time on the treadmill. Like, that's okay. We don't, we don't always have to be feeling something specific or always thinking about how do we remove an emotion. So one of the things I really like about positive psychology, it really looks at kind of the bigger picture of emotion regulation. So there are things we can do to upregulate our emotions, to downregulate our emotions, to kind of clear out some of the space, mindfulness would be a good example of that, where you just kind of go into a little bit of nothingness mm -hmm. and that a lot frees you up to do other things. Um, yeah, so it's, it's about finding the tools and the strategies to kind of choose your mood and choose your moment okay. to the extent that you can. Okay. Sometimes we can. I was reading a book by uh, called Authentic Happiness. Okay. You might be familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and he talks a lot about, you know, how we always try to pursue these little bouts of happiness. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but these are, you know, obviously non-lasting and that's not the way to achieve, uh, happiness on the longer terms. Well, yes and no. So we do need those little hits of happiness. Mm -hmm. So the latte, little chocolate bar, pair of nice shoes never hurts, right? Um, but that just can't be your only thing. And, and in part because, as you say, it doesn't last very long, but also we habituate, we get used to these things and they, they kind of lose their value over time. So we need the small hits of joy and happiness during the day to give us the, 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 the fuel, if you will, to carry on. And then we also need the bigger ticket items, kind of the deeper stuff of meaning and the, and the pursuit of goals and accomplishments and relationships. And these are things that take much longer than a minute to do. So um, actually, I just want to recap for our audience. So if, if you had to define positive psychology in a, in a few words, what would it be? The, the science of, the science of well-being. The science of well-being. Yeah. Okay. So, so speaking of the science of well-being, there's, um, there's a trend currently happening uh, mostly in the U.S. where you hear a lot about the great resignation. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people in millions actually quitting yeah. their jobs. 
I know that in our part of the world, we're usually a few years behind. So I think whatever is happening there, we'll probably catch up uh, within a few years. So what should employers do in this case? Well, I think, you know, we talked about meaning values, but there's other things, particularly in workplaces that make people happy. And that's flexibility, autonomy, self-determination, relationships. Um, so it's looking at the things that matter. So I think we've moved beyond the point of just giving people more money, moving money anywhere. Um, but people are looking for a lot more than that. And I think this is what's also stemming that great resignation where people are like, Look, if it's so what do they want? Money, I think people want to feel good at what they do. So they want to be able to choose. Um, you know, we think so there's a concept called job crafting. Um, and job crafting stems from positive psychology as well. And it's looking at out of all the tasks you do, how can you craft the job you have into one that you like more? Mm -hmm. So that could be saying, okay, I don't like these tasks. Anybody else want these? Okay, you can take those. I'll take your, you know, kind of like a little bit of a exchanging different okay. tasks. Um, you can also look at, you know, changing up timing, doing things on your schedule. So now we get into flexibility. Do you want to work mornings? Do you want to work afternoons? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to work in an office? So giving people more choice. Um, I also think people want to work with other people they like and who hopefully like them back. That is sometimes possible, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. But how do you forge good relationships at work or at a minimum, then just at least less, less contact if there is friction? Um, this we can do maybe not by the forced pizza parties that we sometimes see, yes. but by giving people, you know, meaningful projects to work on or trying to align, you know, you, you two kind of have the same interest. How about you think of, you know, taking on this project or yes. that project, aligning people maybe a little bit more alongside their strengths or compatible strengths. So you don't, you're not putting everybody with the same strengths in one team and they start to compete, but maybe um, complementary strengths where they can work together and you're not a threat, I'm not a threat, but somehow we manage to create something beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think these are kind of some of the deeper issues that people are looking at. I also think during COVID, you know, we have this wonderful luxury to stay at home. Yes. We, our quality of life went up for a lot of people and now organizations want us to come back. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't think I want to give that up. And that's mostly why a lot of people are resigning. Actually. Yeah, right. Once you've had a taste of that, yes. why would you want to go back to your office? Mm -hmm. So I get it. So organizations will need to think of a way of how do you bring that same freedom and quality of life into work so that people don't have to leave work to, to get it mm -hmm. or, or quit your organization to make that happen. I love that. So how do you make it? that they have a great life within the organization so that they don't have to seek that great life outside. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you, you work with employers, right, here in the UAE. Do you, do you find them receptive to, to things like that? Because it's, it's one thing to tell people, you know, find something that you love, do something that, you know, you're passionate about, etc. But also the reality is that, you know, a lot of companies are uh, not as receptive. And, and in some companies, you can't. Somebody needs to be at the front desk. Mm. So is there is there maybe, because companies care about their bottom line, right? Yeah. So they want to make money at the end of the As day. As they should, yeah. Is there uh, something that, you know, you could tell companies or employers when, you know, about the benefits 
of uh, introducing flexibility and some of these other benefits yeah. to employees? I think it would increase a lot of loyalty. So if you can strike that balance, and it's going to look different in every organization. Again, somebody has to be at the front desk, um, but there's other tasks that can be done perfectly well mm -hmm. from the living room. So in those cases, it's really maybe going through role by role, even task by task, thinking about what can be done elsewhere. But, but also, does the person want to? Not everybody also wants to stay at home. I'm thinking of mm. moms with kids and they're like, please, can I come back? Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's really happening. Single people actually as well. Yeah, you know, or, or not. I don't know. So it's really about, you know, having those conversations with managers and saying, what can we do to keep you here? What was great about COVID for you? What was not so great about COVID for you? Mm. Or forget COVID, going forward, how can we make this better for you? And, and really having those conversations and being open to some of those answers. Um, some things can be done, some things can't, but I think simply asking the question. So I see a lot of organizations and I get it. You've got a lot of real estate. Somebody yes. has to occupy the building. And, and maybe, you know, that is the way it needs to be done for the moment. But over time, people will vote with their feet, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, so I think, you know, we need to be mindful of yes. people's experiences at work matter and those experiences matter to them. Whereas before, maybe they push them aside a little, you know, well, I have a job, I'm being paid. Now people, I think, are, are having a little bit more courage to say, no, actually, everybody else is quitting. Mm -hmm. That company's doing it. Yes. Why can't you? They're demanding a lot more. So I think we're kind of in, the, in this exciting work transformation, even here. And as you say, it might catch up, take mm -hmm. a little while. Yes. But I think some of the bigger companies are starting to have those conversations and will be able to make some of those adjustments. I think a lot of companies, they, they kind of say, well, you know, we need people to be back because of these impromptu water cooler conversations, the culture and, and, and all of that. I don't think it's about real estate. I personally, I think it's mm -hmm. more about trust. I feel that there isn't trust in, in employees yeah. in general. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of like the root of the issue. But, but a lot of the employers would say it's more the culture, you know, the, the camaraderie that you build within the workplace, et cetera. And that's okay. But then I would also ask, did we really have that before COVID? Mm -hmm. So Gallup has come up with a lovely model that I really like. And, and what they've said is, look, if it can be done at, a, at your kitchen table, go do it at your kitchen table. Because actually we know that when people are in the workplace, they are less productive because of all the chatting, the interruptions, mm -hmm. this, that, that, and the other. Um, so for companies to be paying people to be less productive doesn't really make much sense. On the other hand, bring people in, but bring them in for a reason. So maybe everybody needs to be in the office on a Wednesday, but on a Wednesday, no, you actually don't have a desk and no, you're not doing desk work, mm -hmm. but Wednesdays are specifically for group projects um, meetings that we must have yes. and that cannot be an email um, for these thinking sessions, creativity and innovative, you know, processes, but things that can only be done in groups. So then now you've given me a reason to come here. Yes. I don't want to do that. On so not to come there, open my laptop and do presentations. And this is it. silly. Yes. Right. And I've seen people, they're on a Zoom meeting and they're like, yep, yeah, Bob's over there and 
James over there <laughs> in our offices on a Zoom. You know, this is ridiculous. Yes, right? that's true. So I think there's other ways to do things. And it's just kind of to look at this, like, what, what, what is it we're paying you for? Can that be done elsewhere and better? Mm-hmm. Then why are we paying you to come here? And, and what is so what is your advice to the individual in that case? So, you know, they're in a job, COVID happened. Now they're asked to be back or probably they're back already. I think a lot of people are back yeah. in the office. Yeah. So maybe what is something that um, that they should that they need to be asking themselves? Maybe. Well, I think asking themselves, but also having conversations with their managers and saying, "Look, <laughs> this is what I actually do during the day. When I'm here, this is what that looks like. Mm-hmm. When I'm at home, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. What would you prefer?" So, so I think it's kind of making a case for yourself, showing the evidence mm-hmm. and, you know, state your case, try. At, at worst, your manager will say, no, we need you back. All right. Then you've got options and you have decisions to make. But if you don't say anything and you just come back and sit down and, and resume, it's very hard to backtrack in eight months because you've been back for eight months now. Yes. Yes. However long. Yes. But beyond, beyond like the work from home, work from the office mm-hmm. uh, topic, is there something else that you think, you know, people need to be asking themselves um, m- more generally about what they're doing? I always think that, but <laughs> I, I think. Because, sorry, yeah, because you spoke yeah. earlier about like um, taking stock of things, right? Yeah. Gratitude, savoring things mm-hmm. and all of that. So a lot of us live our lives on autopilot. You know, we go to the office, we come yeah. back, we do the same thing, take the kids, etc. So there's, you know, and then one day, I mean, it's happening to me, you know, like you, you hit 40 and then you're like, okay, stop, stop. What's going on? Am I happy? Am I not happy? Is this what I need to be doing? So this is what I'm trying to... Um, okay. Maybe like if you if you are an employee today and you need to take stock of what you're doing, are there any questions you should be asking yourselves? Well, I think that's a, the yeah. question you've asked oh, yourself. Okay. I, I, I'm 47. I'm also asking myself that question. You know, is this really what I want? Mm. So there's a great um, strategy. It's Japanese, and okay. it, it falls under that positive psychology intervention. And the strategy is a little bit morbid, but it's think about your death. Okay. So if you had 24 hours left to live, what would you regret not doing the most? What would you regret not doing the most? Okay. And I think suddenly it's like, oh, this put things put, puts things really quickly into perspective. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't have enough fun. Like I work, 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 work. I enjoy what I do. I do get satisfaction out of that, but I could spend more afternoons at the beach. So during COVID, that was one of the questions I asked myself is, you know, coming out of this, I was a bit anxious coming out of it, not for COVID, but more for the fact that I just thought, oh boy, here we go. Everybody's going to start running at breakneck speeds again. I don't want to go back to normal. Yes. I don't want to do that. No, everybody stop. Mm-hmm. Like Back to the beach, right? Um, so I think it, it's really about taking control over things and going, look, life is short. COVID has showed us that. Life is short. Lots of things can happen. Now we've got Ukraine and Russia. We, you know... These are serious things. We've yes. got climate change coming. Yes. Um, now that doesn't mean That's throw the biggest caution one. to the wind. Exactly. It doesn't mean throw caution to the wind, but I think it's really about being purposeful about your life. What do you want? What matters most? Do that. Or do those, do those things. And I think, you know, tapping onto this great resignation, I think a lot of people are asking themselves those questions. What matters? So how do you do it? You take a notebook and you start writing? Like, how do I start? I don't know. Where do, where do I begin with? 
I think it's to think about think about the times when you're happiest. Okay. What is that? Where are you? So well, maybe I'll interview you now. Where, when are you happiest? <laughs> and it doesn't need to be happy like this. Yes. Happy can be focused in the zone, feeling purposeful, energized, feeling like yeah, I'm, I'm doing stuff. Like whatever your definition of mm-hmm. happiness is. When is that? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> I think when I'm doing when I'm doing uh, when I'm working. I mean, I lo- well, that that's going to sound very boring to whoever is listening. No, but but I think I enjoy spending time with my kids uh, yeah. on certain occasions. Uh, yeah, because a lot of you a lot of time twenty four seven. No, and a lot of times they're they're fighting, so it's actually no fun spending okay. time with them at all. Uh, but I think work, meaningful work, um, meaningful work, doing, having these conversations with very interesting people, okay. uh, achieving, finishing a project, uh, making an investment. So, and, and you've crafted your life to do that more often. I'll try. Yes. Yeah, I guess I, mean, I, I, I seek these. Kind of where you're heading. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So for you, you've kind of went, this is what I'm happy doing. This is what I like. This is when I feel like I'm on fire. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff. That's what you should be doing. Now, having said that, I also don't want to put pressure on people to think of, you know, maybe you don't know what your passion is. Maybe you don't have one. You know, like actually, a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, you know, I for that's okay. Yeah, I for one like always try to think: is that it, or is that what I want myself to think? You know. Yeah. It's funny how we complicate things, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> don't overthink it. Um, you know, I I like doing research. I mean, that sounds like everybody's afternoon of misery, but uh-huh. I love it. I just kind of lose myself in ideas and writing. I really like that. And I make time for that. So okay. I literally get up at six to eight. That's what I do. Um, and and I think it's, it's just about being more purposeful. You're never going to get the whole life that you want. But can we have more of a life we okay. want? I, I think we can. And that might be, you know, doing what you like maybe for two extra hours each week or thinking about what you don't like. Stop doing that. Yeah. Right? Like think about sometimes we have relationships with people that we hang out with, but really they don't bring joy, interest, help, support. We don't even know why we do it. Mm. So I think it's the it's that incremental, I think that people sometimes find it boring or maybe they might look at it and don't see that there is actually an achievement. But these, it's these little steps, like as you said, if you do one or two hours of what you like per week, uh, you know, an extra one or two hours, then gradually build that up. It doesn't have to be like zero or 100. Exactly. And yeah. it also doesn't even need to account or to amount to anything. Okay. Right? If you just like writing, write. You don't need to write a book. You just need to write nonsense. You can delete it. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also about, you know, you don't have to have this beautiful accomplishment at the end. It's okay to do things just because you like doing them. Mm-hmm. That's what musicians do all the time. So let's talk a little bit about high performance culture. So entrepreneurs, for instance, you know, I've, yeah. I've been an entrepreneur for, for a decade. There's so many uh, entrepreneurs out there now, uh, business leaders who are under a lot of stress. Um, what is your advice to them? How can they un- incorporate uh, positive psychology? Well, let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial landscape to mm-hmm. begin with. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a researcher, so I you know read a lot of studies. Um, so one of the things that we're starting to see is that there's a lot of 
mental health issues mm-hmm. um, in the entrepreneurial community. Now, there's mental health issues everywhere, so it's not like we're targeting that group in particular. But, you know, a, a number of people have sort of unpacked that and said, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. It's a high-pressure lifestyle, long hours, huge responsibility, tons of money. You're, you know, you're... you're Really, your survival depends on you. Uh, it's yes. not an easy route. It's a very difficult path to take. It's not made for everybody. And you kind of have to have a little bit of the personality for it. Yes. We look at the failure rates for entrepreneurs. They're huge. Yes. Uh, failure hurts, right? And so, um, you know, a couple of studies have shown that, you know, the rate of depression, for example, is twice as high in entrepreneurs. Anxiety, three times as high. Uh, suicide attempts, suicidal ideation, also very high. Drug and alcohol addiction, also very high. Um, and, you know, this is kind of causing people to say, wow, like we really popularize and make the hustle culture quite sexy, quite attractive. Everybody wants to do it, but we also need to think of there's a cost behind that. And then for those who make it, fantastic. Yay! But we don't talk enough about those who don't make it and what happens to them and what is the cost as well. Now, that doesn't mean don't do it. I'll never tell anybody, don't pursue your dreams. Knock yourself out. Go for it. Knock yourself out. (laughs) We need people to achieve and accomplish and and to feel alive in what they do. But also just understand there's a cost to that. And, you know, how do we think of ways to mitigate some of those costs? Mm-hmm. Now, when you're working long hours, um, you're not maybe eating uh, as well. You're not, you know, stopping just for basic stuff, a glass of water. You know, you haven't called your mom in I don't know how many weeks. You haven't spoken to your partner. If you remember, you even have one, right? Um, so I think what entrepreneurs can do Rather than take the, the mindset of hustle, hustle, take the mindset of an athlete. So if you think about a, a, Olympic athletes, they train super hard, high performance. The whole country is expecting them to get the gold medal. And when they don't, we just forget about them in a second. Sometimes we boo them like, how terrible, but they take themselves seriously. So when they're training, they pay attention to sleep. Big time. Sleep is important. They prioritize it. Nine o'clock lights out. They also get up at 5 a.m. They stop for water breaks. They stop for good nutrition. They have a range of little meals throughout the day. They stop and stretch. They obviously are doing physical activity, but they make time. They prioritize Mm -hmm. things that are going to help their performance. And I think entrepreneurs, but also even just CEOs, you know, senior leaders, anybody in a position of leadership has to do the same thing. Take yourself as seriously as an Olympic athlete. Take yourself as seriously as the CEO who probably has a private trainer and a chef. You might not, but you know, the the idea is the same. You can't reach the top if you're tired. You can't reach the top if you're dehydrated. You can't reach the top if you haven't eaten. You can't reach the top if you're depressed and anxious. That in itself is going to impair your productivity and performance. So these are kind of things we need to be thinking of more often. So mental health issues, but also in that, how to be well. Is it something that's meaningful to you? Again, does it align with who you are? Does it bring out the best in you? Are you suited for that? Does it make you feel like you do? Like, I'm on fire, bring it on. It's hard and maybe going to cry in the car, but I love doing this, right? I come alive when I do this. Um, so I, I think there's, there's 
a number of different things that we can do. Um, but one is just kind of making people aware that it's a costly route. Mm. It's a great one, but it's costly. So just be mindful of the costs and how do we mitigate those. And it's unfortunately, I think it's expected. So, you know, we, we do praise entrepreneurs that have 9 p.m. meetings and, uh, you know, weekend uh, meetings and so on. And, and some of these have been wildly successful. And then you tend to think, okay, then it, it's either I'm going to kill myself or I'm not going to be successful. And I think investors, uh, you know, expect that or want that. And, and I also think that that impacts the, the culture as well, uh, within the, within the mm. startup or these high performance organizations. And, and again, it puts, it puts pressure on, on individuals, not only the entrepreneurs, but also the employees. So I was, you know, I was recently, um, talking to some startup founders and, you know, they were having late meetings, um, on a, on a daily basis. And I said, you know, if I want to help you, uh, and work with you. I can't do this. So, but you know, there's no right or wrong, right? Like they have to do what they need to do. They got to get there, uh, yeah. to get there. And, but that means that they may not be able to get certain talent or it comes at a cost. Yeah. Or, you know, another thing we can think about is how do you do that again, by trying to mitigate and, or thinking about you know, positive emotions and meaning when we do things that are difficult and taxing, but we can have fun doing them mm -hmm. that buffers the impact of negative emotions. So I would say if they're going to have a 9 p.m. meeting, can we at least make it a fun one? Yes. Right? <laughs> so can we at Not least over pizza, maybe over like a quinoa salad or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get can, fat by the end of it. Yeah, well, that too, right? But can, but can, we, can we at least have fun doing it and, and forge good relationships so that, yeah, it's new, yeah. it is 9 p.m. We're going to have a cap. Everything ends by 10, 15. But we need to enjoy this. But there is that burnout. There is. Uh, I, I mean, I've experienced it. I, I haven't been uh, a wildly successful entrepreneur, nowhere near. Yeah. But 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 still, you know, even even within my little startup, uh, I had working weekends. I missed out on holidays and so on. And and mind you, again, I wanted to do that, and it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was part of what I wanted to do, but. Again, it's, it is, it does contribute to burnout. Yeah. And it's not that you shouldn't do it. Like that is what it demands. Mm -hmm. so, you know, so again, if you're going to be an Olympic athlete, you will be training for 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. That's what it requires. Mm -hmm. But it's just to know that, again, if we think about an Olympic athlete, their career only lasts a couple of years. Yes. Because you, you can only sustain that for so long. Yes. Whereas if you're going to do that as an entrepreneur, understand that there's a cost to that. You can, you can do it and enjoy it, but you have to mitigate that somehow because your career will, it may end sooner than you want mm -hmm. for other reasons. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned failure as a reason for high levels of depression, uh, especially amongst entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with like failure? Uh, is, is there a, again, special tips or advice that you can, that you can share? Yeah, I think failure just sucks all the it way just around. Sucks, yes. <laughs> it just sucks. It just sucks all the it way sucks. around. But I, I think this is where also social support is important. The issue with entrepreneurs, I shouldn't say the issue with entrepreneurs, I should say the issue with the social support of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. is that sometimes that support will say, just quit. Mm -hmm. It's fine. 
look what it's doing to you, mm-hmm. right? And the entrepreneur is like, why are you killing my dream? I want to see it through. Mm-hmm. What support should be doing is saying, do you need me to do your laundry? Do you want me to pick up your kids? How can I help you succeed at your dream? How can I help you mitigate that stress and not, you know, help you disconnect from the dream? Like that's, that's kind of like soul destroying. Um, and when you have people around you who understand this is going to be hard, um, but I'm going to try and support this person knowing that, yeah, they may fail. And when they fail, I'll be like, you know what? You're awesome. Like you're just, just still my hero for having done that. But, but so I think part of it is how do you, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, also thinking about who are you going to take along for the ride and specifically what do you need from them and having those conversations? Here's how I want you to support me. Failure then, if and when it comes, can be a little bit easier to handle. Well, it's very likely to come, right? The odds are very high. The odds are it will happen. Yeah. And I wish we also, as a society, talked about failure more often because a lot of startups are like, yeah, we're going to make it. And you're thinking, I hope you do. Mm. Probably not. (laughs) But to have these conversations out loud, there's a big chance this is going to fail. So what's going to be your backup plan if it doesn't work? And, and putting the failure on the table, having that plan B for it already so that people understand that that may happen. I'm going to give it my best. Like we're going to go with plan A as long as we can. But if plan B happens, it's not the end of the world. I've also prepared for that. And it's not a personal failure. It's just this is how it goes. Mm. I think that's what it is because people, you know, how they always say entrepreneurs have their, you know, their companies become their babies. So it does look like a personal failure. Yeah, and it's know? not. And and it's it's tough. The, the odds are it, it probably isn't going to work, and it's not about you. Yeah. So so talent, um, part of a big part of you know successful companies, successful startups. We often we often talk in this region about the inability of schools and universities to prepare. Uh, people mm-hmm. to become great employees, whatever whatever that may be, the yeah. definition of that. But you always hear that they don't have the right skills. And I've, I've experienced that a little bit firsthand when I had Nabish because Nabish was a freelance marketplace mm-hmm. and the people that we, that we wanted are on the platform where, you know, students, for example, that wanted to get like a gig uh, and get some work experience. And I did see it that really they do... Uh, miss the kind of interpersonal skills to be able to price their services, talk to clients, manage expectations, etc. Um, so you, I know you've done some work on uh, on that. So can you maybe talk to, to us a little bit about schools and universities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I can talk about that in two sort of two aspects. So one, I do teach at university, and even I see it in my students. I'm like, what? It- what? (laughs) So uh, there's definitely a mismatch. Absolutely. There's a mismatch between what industry needs and what students bring. There's a mismatch between what universities think they're doing and what students actually come out with. And there's also a mismatch between what parents want Mm -hmm. for their kids and how how they think that is happening. So none of this is lining up. Um, Okay, so maybe I'll start by telling you about some of the research I'm doing, and then we can sort of broaden that out. So one of the studies I'm working on right now 
um, with a co-author from Spain is looking at the PISA data. So PISA is an international achievement test that is done around the world with uh, 15-year-olds. Okay. And the UAE does participate in that. So every single 15-year-old student mm-hmm. takes the PISA test. So I have lots of students in my class who are like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, so we have thousands of respondents for the UAE, um, as we do all over the world. So my co-author and I, we've gotten the data for the UAE, and we've started to take a look at a number of interesting questions. So since 2015 and 2018, um, we are, PISA is also collecting well-being data, how happy kids are, and also mental health information. So basically, do these young people have mental health issues? and academic performance. So we've done a series of analyses. In our first analysis, what we found was looking at the UAE, we looked at only at academic performance. And what we found is that the difference between public and private schools is three years. Huge gap. Three years. Three years. Okay. So, so they're three years more advanced than their, than their peers. Yeah. Okay. So there are differences in schools. Absolutely. Some students come out academically much stronger than others that we see and and we also see it in other countries but here the gap is one of the widest in the world now before you get smug and think about oh i'm from a private school mm-hmm. um, our second series of analysis looked at okay so let's look at the other question now never mind academic performance where are kids the happiest and where do kids also have the highest mental health issues and there we saw the complete opposite So we saw that private schools looking at a particular curriculum, and I'm just going to come out and say it because we're going to publish it soon. uh, British curriculum, highest academic performance, highest mental health issues, lowest happiness. Lowest happiness. Lowest happiness. Wow. So total opposite of what we found in the academic performance. So we didn't expect to find that. We're like, oh boy, that's bad. (laughs) Um, And it's sort of, you know, caused us to go, wow, what is this about? Like, how do we explain this? We started looking through the research literature Uh around high-performance schools. And this is increasingly being talked about more and more. High-performing schools are high-performing, but there's cost to that. So they're kind of like little entrepreneurial incubators, same Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, People do really well academically and burn out. Wow. So kids are depressed, kids are anxious, kids are um, coping less well in these high-performing schools, uh, and they're less happy. So, again, we come back to positive psychology. That is scary, you know, to hear. Living. As a parent, like myself, that's scary to hear because I think the last thing you want is your kids to be unhappy. Yeah. Uh, so what are we doing? Yeah, well, we're pushing them a lot. So this morning, uh, I just put on my LinkedIn page, another article came out looking at how are parents driving this? And a lot of this is around parents' anxiety around their social status in society. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants the best for their kids. And we all hate to admit it, but you know we do worry about what the neighbors are going to say and how well their kids are doing and what mom has to say, particularly mother-in-law, right? And nobody wants to feel like a failed parent. And parents aren't doing it to push their kids. They're doing it because they love their kids. They want their kids to have great outcomes. But again, there's a cost to pushing, pushing, pushing. So there's some piece of responsibility there. There's also another piece of responsibility on schools, 
What is the goal of education? It's knowledge, yes. It's to function in society, yes. It's also to live a good life and to be happy and to contribute to society and to have good relationships and to be a responsible citizen and to follow the law and all of these other things. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Uh, schools are also to prepare um, students and young people for work. So sometimes, and, and there's lots of studies that have shown this as well, B students are more successful than A students in certain in industries. Life. In life. In life, in many industries. Um, and it's not that it's wrong to get an A if you're really good at it and you like it and, you know, it comes easy to you, fantastic. And for some fields, maybe you do need to get the A. But who's happiest? And it's usually, again, the B students. And a lot of A students end up working for B and C students. So in the classroom, I tell students, look, no one cares about your grades other than you and your mom. Let's be honest. Like Nobody cares. Okay. Your employer is not going to say, show me your transcript. <gasps> you only got an 84 in English. What was that? They don't care. They just want to know, do you have a degree? Good. Tell me more about you. That's true. So in the classroom, I will get students to do on-the-spot interviews, and they suddenly realize, Miss, I have nothing to say. I know. Yes. I know. No one cares about your GPA. Tell me about you. Yeah. And and this is, I think, what we're what we're not focusing on, and what we're not teaching kids. It, and I remember when when I was graduating, and it's tough to write that first CV. Like, really, what do you say you on it? Nothing on it. And I think it's the school's responsibility and the university's responsibility to encourage kids to to do more. Uh, you know, like more in terms of volunteering or doing special projects. Work at McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also incumbent upon parents as well to say, you know, look, your kid's been studying for four hours. It's good. Go for a walk. Mm. Go play basketball. Um, so, you know, that's what I tell my students. Like, just fine. A B and a C is good. But yeah. seriously, go join the basketball team. Um, that will go much further in any job interview. And the skills you learn there will serve you in any workplace. And some, they don't believe me. They don't believe you. Most yeah. don't. Yeah. Most yeah. don't. And some might, and some are tempted by it. Uh, the other thing I see is just this really, this fear of, trying in case they fail mm -hmm. and this comes back to your question how do we make failure more easy to experience when we have more of it uh you wrote something on your linkedin the other day which really really caught my eye and i'm gonna i'm gonna read it out here um, you said i'm happy to hug your kids but i'd prefer if you did it instead so what is that about oh now i'm gonna cry uh, <laughs> No, I literally, you know, young people are struggling. Uh -huh. They really are. And this um, young man. This is university? This is university. Okay. 19 years old. Came to me after class. And, you know, hum and hum. And, you know, it's always about a friend. Miss, I have a friend. But this time it wasn't the friend. And he just like burst into tears. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know. My dad is never happy with anything I do. And this kid was in pieces. And this is a 19-year-old kid. And I just hugged <laughs> him. I don't know if that was allowed or not. But I was like, wow, this is a 19-year-old boy who really just needs somebody to say, I see you. Mm -hmm. 
and you're fine. You're doing great. And that's my take, that's my takeaway message for parents. Like, mm -hmm. just don't worry about the grades. Your kids will be fine. Really push them um, to go play basketball, go work at McDonald's, get a part-time job, go paint the neighbor's walls, whatever. Your kids are going to be fine, but they need to hear you love them and you're proud of them. Uh, definitely, definitely caught, I think, my attention. And a lot of people had had, uh, had commented on that. It really hit, uh, hit home, uh, for sure. So I think just to, well, I mean, this, this was great, really. Um, just maybe some, some final words that you'd like to leave us with, uh, leave the audience with, with as well. We're all kind of suffering in one way or the other. Yeah, and I think I'm going to go back to, you know, this applies to me as well. Um, you know, it's post-COVID. We've got Ukraine and Russia. We've got climate change. That's going to be <laughs> coming with a vengeance. Um, life is hard. It, it really is. And I think we need to really be thinking very thoughtfully and very purposefully about what matters. That answer is going to be different for everybody. And money does matter. Absolutely. Feeling good about ourselves, accomplishments, success, that matters. But so do relationships. So do little moments of joy. So does being flexible. So does taking risks and failing and going, yeah, that really sucked. But hey, you know, hey, I learned all these things and it's cool. It's fine. Um, and, and just, I guess I'd want to say that we just need to chill. Chill. Just chill. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Chill. Yes. <laughs> Doctor's advice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was much. great. Thank you for your time. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Conversations with Lulu. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Louise, you can visit her website, happinessmatters.org. You can also visit the show's website, conversationswithlulu.com, if you want to reach out to me. And you can also follow me on social media, on all social media platforms at the handle Lulu Hazen. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app to get the latest episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a rating or review. It really helps us uh, in getting discovered. So I wish you a great day and see you in a few weeks. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.